This is the Hungry Takes podcast live on a Thursday night with Joe and Matt from our studio in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. We're in the midst of July, kind of past the midway point of July, Matt. And we're also in the midst of the heat of the baseball season. We had the All-Star break that just wrapped up Home Run Derby with the MLB All-Star game about to get set for the second half of the MLB season. So a lot of baseball, I think, to talk about on this show. Yeah, Joe. So baseball to talk about back in the studio. The first time back in the studio in what, like, uh, since January, maybe maybe 2021, right? Feels I, like it. Yeah, it's been forever. But, yeah, so we're going to kick off tonight's show, really stay on baseball all of tonight, right? Which, much to your delight, much to my chagrin, <laughs> we're going to be talking about uh, baseball all night. But I definitely have to give you credit for your willingness to talk about baseball. You know, as somebody that's not a big baseball fan, you, you always are a good uh, a good sport when it comes to talking about baseball. Well, you have to understand, the text message I sent you is that we could talk about baseball because there was nothing else to talk about. <laughs> See, only as a last resort, I guess, that we, we, you view baseball as a topic. Exactly. <laughs> well, um, even though it may be a last resort uh, tonight, you know, it's going to be the headliner on the show. And, of course, Matt, as I alluded to, we wrapped up the All-Star Game and the Home Run Derby. Uh, the Home Run Derby was on Monday night, and uh, that was uh, really a show when it came to uh, a couple of young superstars in the league. Uh, Juan Soto, who I was telling you about over the weekend, had that huge contract that he turned down. Uh, he was able to defeat Julio Rodriguez, uh, the young superstar for the Seattle Mariners. Rodriguez really stole the show. Is one of those things where the only reason Soto won is just because Rodriguez kind of got tired in the later rounds. But that was kind of the spectacle that we saw Monday night. Yeah, and you know what? What I want to talk about is what you just said, Joe, that Rodriguez got tired in the later rounds because let's start at the beginning. He hit 30-something home runs in the first round, if I remember correctly, right? So do you want to talk about the All-Star game now or do you want me to go off on my home run derby rant right now? I'd say let's start with a home run derby rant, and I, I will preface that I think where you're probably going to go is a point I probably won't disagree with. Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll see, right? I'll throw it out there, and then I'll let you just take it for what it is and go off on it. Here's the deal, Joe. I do not enjoy the home run derby anymore, okay? And that is hard for me to say because outside of the NBA All-Star game or slam dunk contest, the home run derby's always been my favorite, right? King Griffey Jr., Barry Bonds, Frank Thomas, all these cats just bombing homers, right? But the pizzazz is not there anymore with the home run derby, and I think it's because you get tired of seeing home runs. They hit so many of them. Yeah, it's changed it a lot drastically with having the shot clock or the three-minute clock, and you have basically the players going up there and swinging at every pitch. And they used to take pitches and have more of a breather when you played 10 outs. And it seems like this kind of thing happens. But I will say that um, even though this year we saw the travesty with Rodriguez having like those 30 home run rounds and then losing in the finals, I have seen a precedent for this before. I can remember uh, Josh Hamilton, for instance, having a big first round back in like 2008. He hits like 28 home runs and then he loses in the finals to Justin Morneau. And so I've always kind of been troubled by the fact that you can't carry over some of these home runs. It's like you can put up a big first round and then it doesn't matter down the stretch. I think my problem is home run derby and hitting home runs is not just about how many times you can pound the baseball right now. Well, let me start by saying, uh, who's the guy, the, the guy from the Mets that was the number one front runner? 
He's oh, Pete Alonzo. Pete Alonzo. So I heard before uh, the home run derby that they expected him to win again, and he would hit 70 home runs by himself throughout all the rounds. There's like 10 guys in the derby. That's like 700 home runs, right, in a matter of a few hours, okay, if they all hit 70, right, over the course of it. That's ridiculous. So with that said, my thought is it's not about pounding balls, right? The key to being a home run guy is being able to pick and choose what balls you go after, and that's what I used to love about the home run derby. They could hit 15 or 20, but they only had 10 out, so they had to be very choosy about which ones they swung at. And I was really surprised to that point that Juan Soto was able to win because his pitcher was not nearly as accurate as Julio Rodriguez. Like he, his pitcher, whoever it was throwing to him, was like throwing high pitches, and they just didn't have a good chemistry. And Rodriguez's pitcher, he was just it was like a straight motion. He was throwing it right down the middle, and Rodriguez was just launching. Yeah, and, and I think in that case, you know, had Rodriguez not hit 30 to get out of the first round, and I don't even think he didn't even need close to 30, if I remember correctly, right? I think the guy in the first round had like 13 or 15 or maybe something like that. He could have saved it and possibly won uh, the home run derby, right? So I, I think it's an awesome spectacle. I love the home run derby. I just think when you witness 300, 400 home runs in a matter of an hour, it kind of loses its appeal and its pizzazz a little bit. No, I can certainly see that. I think I appreciated the home runs more back in the day when you had the 10 outs. And it was like when you saw rounds where somebody hit 20-something home runs, it stood out more. Now it's just so commonplace that you see people now getting 30 home runs, it seems like, pretty frequently. But the cool thing, I thought, in addition to seeing Soto and Rodriguez, you know, especially Rodriguez kind of coming in, you know, bursting onto the scene on the national stage as a 21-year-old star, but also enjoyed – seeing a guy who's twice his age, Albert Pujols, at 42 in his final season, making it to the semifinals. It was really cool to see him out there. So, funny enough, I did not get to see Albert Pujols uh, hit. That's what I was waiting for. Something came up uh, because I was hoping he would he would play it out one last time for us, right, and, and win just to say one. I think it would be awesome. So, Joe, that's kind of the state of the union on the home run derby. So, get us into the game itself. Yes, yeah, so the All-Star Game took place, of course, the next night on Tuesday night. And I have some thoughts on the All-Star Game and especially, you know, the players opting out of the game and setting out. But I'll first kind of do a little quick recap. Of course, the American League wins, I think, for the ninth consecutive All-Star Game. Uh, John Carlos Stanton of the Yankees won the All-Star Game MVP. He hit a two-run home run uh, in the middle innings to uh, give the American League the title. And uh, But as far as my thoughts on just – you know, the the state of the All-Star game right now. I've always felt like the Major League Baseball All-Star game, when you compare it to the major professional sports, I've always enjoyed it because I feel like it's unique since it's played most like a regular season game more than the other All-Star games. Like the Pro Bowl, there's no tackling. You know, the NBA All-Star game is just three-pointers. Hockey, I don't know how many people watch that. You know, so I feel like baseball has, you know, an upper hand there with the All-Star game. And it has real outcome potential, right? Because who wins determines where the World Series is played. Is that correct? Something like that? Used to be. Used, used to be. To be. Okay, and, and that was really epic for a while. Yeah. And, and, they, and they changed that a few years ago, I think, with a new commissioner. But, yeah, for a while that was definitely the case. Um, but I feel like um, I am troubled, though, by a lot of the star players opting out of the All-Star game. I feel like the league's got to do something about that. So now explain this to me because I'm having a hard time digesting this. The superstars would opt out of the All-Star game for fear of getting injured, I'm assuming. However, 
that implies that they actually do stuff in baseball to get injured, correct? <laughs> Sounds the oxymoron there. Well, here's the contradictory factor there. So Jose Altuve of the Houston Astros, the second baseman, he was supposed to be in the starting lineup on Tuesday night for the American League. And he claimed that he was injured because he got hit by a pitch last weekend, but it made no sense because he played the rest of that series after getting hit by the pitch. So he was in the starting lineup on Sunday, I think, for the Astros, but yet he didn't feel like playing Tuesday. And then conveniently, he started today in their first game back. He wanted some time off, right? And he wasn't getting paid for it. He wanted some time off. That's what it amounts to. But I, I wish that Major League Baseball would do something about it because, uh, you know, it wasn't just him. You also had uh, several good players like um, Garrett Cole, the good pitcher from the Yankees, Mike Trout. Uh, opted out, but uh, you know, I Mike guess Trout, for rest yeah. again. Uh, I, I pry this is something we come back to. We won't go on it on this podcast again. Another opportunity for Mike Trout to be the face of baseball, and he takes a hard pass. Well, that's true. And so, you know, I, I wish that there was some type of uh, you know, docking the pay or something, some type of penalty that Major League Baseball could do for these guys that don't want to play. I'll give the NBA players credit. When they make an all-star game and they're not injured, they play, right? They always play. I think it has to do with culture, hip-hop culture, what basketball stands for. I don't know what it is. I'll also give credit to the NFL because they put the Pro Bowl in a bad time, right? In between, like, the, the before the Super Bowl, at the end of the playoffs, like, and if you get to the Super Bowl, chances are you have all-stars on your team. So I don't fault the NFL guys. But I will say I give credit for the NBA players because they do play when they can uh, in the All-Star game. And, and all in all, Joe, I think it's atrocious. I'm like you. If the fans elect you or you're good enough to be an All-Star, you have got to play for the sake of the game. you got to do it, man. Well, you see it with the first-year All-Stars because there were you know several people that got a chance on a right side to appear in the game that wouldn't have otherwise, and they were named All-Stars. And you could tell the excitement on their faces. And I just wish you know the veterans you know that have been there maybe five or six, seven or eight times that they would you know not forget that appreciation. I mean, it's a huge honor, right? Is what it is. And when you take a pass, I, I feel that way about any sport. When you are opting not to play, right, because of load management or whatever it is, you are you're really defaming kind of the game itself, right? Because it's such an honor. You're in the top 1%, top 0.001% of professional athletes, and you're choosing not to play. And to me, it just it's exacerbated in the All-Star game because that's the ultimate of the ultimate. Mm -hmm. No, that's true. That's true. So, Matt, where do we want to go next? We've got uh, the MLB draft we could recap. We also could talk a little bit about some second-half stories in Major League Baseball. I want to talk MLB draft because I have a problem. Okay. So I'll preface here. We had the MLB draft, you know, last week, or I guess it started on Sunday. And uh, I think it culminated on uh, on Tuesday night. And they had uh, 20 rounds for the draft. Of course, the headliners were uh, Jackson Holiday, drafted number one overall. You had Drew Jones, the son of Andrew Jones, used to play with the Braves. He was drafted number two overall. So those were like two that really stood out to me. Before I get any further, what are some of the specifics you were looking at? I don't understand how uh, – another player that's really big is that Vanderbilt pitcher, right? Previous Vanderbilt Oh, yeah, pitcher Kumar Rocker. Three. Yeah, yeah, so he's another good one, right? I think uh, he went to the Rangers to meet up with his other buddy that's a Vanderbilt pitcher from like a year ago or something. Could be a pretty good rotation for the Texas Rangers, right? But, okay, enough with that. So the part about the draft that I understand is – you draft a Jackson Holiday number one overall. His dad was a former major leaguer. Cool, right? 
How is it possible that an 18-year-old guy who's played high school baseball with aluminum bats is the number number one overall pick, but none of the other guys are, right? The guys who played college baseball with aluminum baseball bats that played against better competition, that played against guys who can pitch faster. And I get in baseball, it's about potential, getting them young and the potential. I just don't understand how someone who's played against high school competition can be drafted above players that have proven themselves at the college level, all things equal, they're using the same kind of bats. Well, it's getting less common uh, by and large. You know, we're seeing some college players drafted number one overall. I can remember, for instance, uh, Danzy Swanson a few years ago with the Braves. Uh, He was drafted actually by the Diamondbacks. Now he plays with the Braves out of Vanderbilt. Um, But you're seeing more college players than you used to historically. But I will say that there was something that stood out to me about Jackson Holiday and Drew Jones which I can understand their selection. Jackson Holiday's stats, Matt, are maybe better than any high school player I've ever seen. He's like that in like 800, right? Yes. He set like an amateur record, I think like almost 90 hits in a season. But albeit it was in the state of Oklahoma, I don't know how good Oklahoma high school baseball is compared to other states. It's not like he did it in California or Florida or Texas. And and see, that is one of my things with college. Now, okay, if he plays on one of those uh, travel ball clubs, right, maybe that vets it out, right, because he's playing all over the nation. But I'm just sitting here thinking, okay, if you're one of those number one high school guys, you go play for a Vanderbilt – now you play baseball in the SEC all over the country. You get to the College World Series. How are you not a better choice as a draft pick than a boy who's 18 years old who played against high school competition? It just doesn't add up in my head, but I get it. That's how baseball operates. Well, one thing I think they do like, so um, I was uh, talking earlier about Julio Rodriguez and um, you know the fact that he's 21 years old and um, – you know, he, uh, I think, was drafted like at 16 or 17 or, or signed, excuse me, at 16 or 17. Um, and then he plays with the Mariners, comes up through the minors. The fact that, you know, you get these guys out of high school, it does allow them to maybe debut at 20 or 21. Whereas if you're drafted at 21 or 22 out of college, you know, you might not uh, get to the big leagues for a couple of years. You might even be 25 when you debut. And so maybe like for the long term of the career, they get more out of that young player. Yeah, and, and I guess the idea there is, okay, we could put him in the farm system at 18, and before he's even 21, he can get three years of major league exposure, or he can go sit in college, he's 21, now he's got to go to the farm league and get three years of exposure, right? So I guess you're getting ahead of the curve and you're betting on his potential. But you you definitely have a good point, you know, the, the, the a lot of these college players are playing at a high level, you know, against a good conference competition, playing in the College World Series, and so it definitely makes a lot of sense. But um, I'm interested, as you alluded to, about Kumar Rocker out of Vanderbilt. I thought it was really interesting, you know, that he kind of took a year off, played kind of, I guess, some semi-pro baseball, didn't play at Vanderbilt. It would have been interesting to see how he could have done uh, in his last year at Vanderbilt had he chosen to play this year after not uh, signing uh, last season. Um, I'm also, you know, I talked about Drew Jones, uh, really excited about him because Andrew Jones, his dad with the Braves, one of my favorite uh, players to watch growing up, him and Chipper Jones both. But I was also, Matt, intrigued by uh, Justin uh, Crawford, the uh, son of uh, Carl Crawford, who played, you know, for many years with the Tampa Bay Rays, was really good, uh, I think like a four- or five-time All-Star. And what I like about Justin Crawford is you don't see as many players stealing bases like he used to. It's more like feast or famine with home runs, and you see the batting averages lower and all that. 
And I, I like the fact that Carl Crawford was a great base stealer. And I'm hoping that Justin Crawford can follow suit at the next level. Yeah, I think that's always good. When you bring something to the game that maybe is kind of breaking the paradigm, right? Like you said, stealing bases, then I think that's a really good uh, part of anything. I always think that's better than the status quo, so to speak. Right, right. And then close to home, you know, we had a lot of players from Southern Miss baseball, Ole Miss, and Mississippi State drafted. Um, so that was definitely interesting. I think Mississippi State had a player drafted like in the second round, if I'm not mistaken, a catcher. Um, Ole Miss's hero, uh, their pitcher that won the most outstanding player award at the College World Series, uh, Dylan DeLucia, he was drafted. And I still have to kind of pinch myself that, you know, all that happened because this is a guy that didn't even start the season in the rotation. Wow. And then he gets drafted and wins all those awards. And so definitely I've never seen anything quite like that. Wow. Who? Uh, so it makes me think of the pitcher from uh... – uh, Oklahoma State, Steven Stra Strasburg. Uh, oh, yeah, Strasburg. Okay, so he was a nobody, right? He was actually overweight. He lost like 100 pounds. He was a nobody. And then when he loses all that weight, he comes out throwing 102, and he goes from like a nobody to the number one pick in the country, right, or something, within a, a, a year or something like that. Yeah, that guy was fascinating. Uh, he, had a, he had a great uh, college career that last year, and it's kind of a travesty. You know, he's had a really solid major league career. I think it was three years ago when the Nationals won the World Series. He was the World Series MVP. But, you know, when he came out of college, he was billed as maybe the best pitching prospect ever. And that was really saying something with the history of baseball. he was 102 at the time. I think, yeah, I think you're right. Absolutely. And it's been unfortunate that when he's been on the field pitching, he's been really good. But he just can't stay healthy, unfortunately. No, no, very much like Anthony Davis in the NBA, right? He just he's made a glass. Well, Joe, before we keep it moving, you keep bringing up a name. I have to, uh, I have to bring it up, right? And, and that's this Julio Rodriguez character, right? Um, because I thought it was fascinating. So when they started the home run derby, they interviewed him or something like that, and they asked him who his inspirations were, right? Now keep in mind he plays for the Seattle Mariners. And he said, I'm doing the home run derby tonight for my inspirations, my idols, Edgar Martinez and uh, 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 the uh, the Asian guy. Ichiro Suzuki. Yeah, Suzuki, right? And I'm like, wait a second. You're doing the home run derby for Edgar Martinez and Suzuki? Like, or Ichiro, what about this guy named King Griffey Jr.? Have you ever heard of him? Like, he was kind of a big deal. Well, you know, the ironic thing there is a lot of people are comparing Rodriguez to a young King Griffey Jr. because he plays the center field position. You know, he's young coming into the league like at 21, uh, very similar to Griffey. Um, you know, he's a guy that shows a lot of home run, pop, uh, home run pop potential. I think he has 16 home runs so far this year, but kind of hoping that with the um, home run display that he put off, uh, you know, put on um, at the home run derby that he can use that kind of to uh, – uh, springboard him in the second half. And so with the defensive skills that Rodriguez has, the home run potential, and just kind of the spark plug that he is, I think that people are really excited um, for the first time in a while, you know, about baseball with the Seattle Mariners. And they're headed, they headed into the all-star break with a 14-game winning streak. And so that puts the Mariners with a prime opportunity uh, led by Julio Rodriguez to try to end uh, one of the most dubious records right now in professional sports. Matt, they have – the Mariners have the longest playoff drought in pro sports. 
I would think so, right? Because they weren't even good when they had A-Rod or King Griffey Jr., ironically speaking, Randy Johnson. They were never that good with those guys. So, yeah, that that, that makes sense to me. Man, they had a who's who of players. I they, I forgot about Randy Johnson and A-Rod. I, you can go on for days, right? They had Randy Johnson, A-Rod, uh, Ichiro, uh, Edgar Martinez. Uh, there was a guy with a, a, a red beard. Uh, I can't remember. Who, he was fantastic at the time, too. Uh, I mean, they have so many good players throughout the years. Well, that actually allows a good transition to the next topic as we keep it moving here. So the last time the Mariners were in the playoffs was 2001. That was Ichiro Suzuki's rookie year. And they set a record or tied a record that year, winning 116 games in 2001. But yet, Matt, they didn't win the World Series. They didn't even make it to the World Series. And so here we have this season, the New York Yankees, just hot all season so far, best record in the league, uh, flirting with probably 100-plus wins themselves, if not more like the Mariners. And you kind of wonder, you know, with baseball, that's really not a good place to be in. When you're too hot too early, you kind of want to be the hot team going into the playoffs. And So I'm really concerned, as we've talked about before, about the Yankees just, uh, you know, at some point they're going to run out of steam. Yeah, I think it's definitely possible. They're going to be losing Aaron Judge, right? That's almost uh, written in stone from my understanding. So who knows what happens to the Yankees after that? Yeah, just a lot of question marks there. I think that a lot of the powers that be with Major League Baseball are kind of rooting for just a blockbuster ratings uh, World Series of New York against L.A. If we could have something like um, the Dodgers and the, uh, and the Yankees, because, you know, right now they both have the best records in their respective leagues. And, you know, they're both vying for an appearance in the World Series. But at the same time, you know, we saw last year the Braves get hot at the right time. Uh, they go on and win the World Series. And it just does not seem to matter um, so much what your regular season record is. And really, if I'm looking for, like, formidable challengers uh, as far as, like, for the Yankees, the Astros, to me, are setting in a very good situation where they've had – kind of a, a good season, not as good as the Yankees, but they're kind of setting there and and I think very formidable. Yeah, you know what? I don't even want to talk about the Astros, right? They're, they're not known as the Astros, the cheaters, right? They're the cheaters, and COVID got them out of that one, okay? And so if you're going to refer to them, I accept the fact that they're playing really well and they could make a run to the World Series, but on uh, the World Series title, it needs to say cheaters, not Astros. That's I think all I'm you, saying. One time, I think, when we were covering them last year, you referred to them as the Cheatstros. The Cheatstros, right? I mean, that is who they are. Once a cheater, always a cheater. That goes for your personal relationships, and it also goes for sports, Joe. <laughs> That's true. But uh, as we kind of wind down on the baseball talk, Matt, just a couple of other stories that stood out to me. I talked about earlier that just uh, crazy – a huge lucrative contract that the Washington Nationals had offered Juan Soto over the weekend. I told you about it. 15 years, $440 million. I mean, what do you make of just all these sports contracts just getting out of out of hand? Stupid. Absolutely stupid. And the funny part about that story actually played out after the All-Star game in the Home Run Derby. They were willing to pay the Cat $440 million. Let's say it a little bit better. Half a billion dollars but they wouldn't pay to fly him to the home run derby because he turned down the contract. Like, are you kidding me? Yeah, that is surprising. I did read that. That's a good point. I'm glad you brought that up. He had to fly, I think, commercial. I saw that I think he had to do that. There was a player for the Oakland Athletics that was going to have to do that, but another team found out about it and let him, like, hitch a ride with him. Yeah, I. I but look, at the end of the day, the salaries are 
way too much in professional sports. And like that, that's such a terrible take right there, but it's true. I mean, you're talking about play, paying one player half a billion dollars. And the sad part to the player's point is that's not enough, right? <laughs> like he, he doesn't want it because he thinks he's at such a young age, I think 23 or something that he deserves more than that. So truthfully, his market value is probably more in lines of like 550 to $600 million. So, Oh my gosh. And he thinks the market at some point is going to reset. And if he signs that contract now, I guess his agent's thinking, you know, that's pretty much going to tie him down to that. He'll never get more money. But I still wonder, Matt, uh, lastly, where this money's coming from. You know, we had a pandemic. A lot of people couldn't go to games. So ticket sales were down. I don't know if the TV contracts are just skyrocketing, but I don't know how the teams are still being able to afford these kind of contracts. Yeah, I don't know how they're doing it, right? I mean, actually, there was a story, I think, this morning on Golden State Warriors who paid like $500 million uh, over the luxury tax or something, right? Because they're paying players too much money. So the idea is that in baseball, uh, I think football is a, a hard cap. Baseball is definitely a hard cap. Basketball is a soft cap, right? So what it means is once you hit that cap space, any money that – per year that you pay over that to players, you get hit with the luxury tax. Golden State Warriors paid like $500 million or something in the luxury tax, right? So that's the same concept. Players are making too much money to where you're going over your cap space. To me, it's it's just wild. It really is. And then uh, finally, speaking of players, you know, they're going to get paid. Uh, Shohei Otani, we know about, you know, the storylines with him. We've talked about it ad nauseum before. But I'm actually, Matt, seeing that there's some trade potential on the rumors, a rumor mill with uh, the Angels maybe looking to trade him, possibly even to the Braves. Like, I, I don't want to get my hopes up too soon, but just crazy to even hear about that speculation. So that's amazing to me. So they're going to trade the guy who literally last week was getting compared to Babe Ruth. Actually, people saying he was better than Babe Ruth because of what he can do on the mound and with the bat in his hand. You're going to trade him instead of just, getting rid of Mike Mike Trout who like can't play more than five games before he gets hurt I mean it's that's incredible to me yeah I mean the, the Angels have you know two of the best best stars in the league they can't make it to the playoffs and so at some point maybe they decide to move on as a franchise but you'll definitely miss you know the popularity that those players bring to the table yeah it, it's absolutely wild I think uh, Shohei Otani is the greatest prospect I've ever seen right and I've been saying that for years you know that I, I think if if they're willing to trade him, all the teams should be out there with their hands open. Like, we will be happily take this guy. Yeah, be people with open arms for sure. Speaking of being happy, Matt, the last story for tonight, the hungry take. I know you were really happy a couple of weeks ago when you went to uh, the Yard Milkshake Bar in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, and you had an experience where you ordered a very sizable uh, chocolate sundae or milkshake. Would you uh, tell maybe us about that experience? Yeah, it was absolutely wild. The The sad part is I'm still financing it. I'll be financing it for like 20 years, right? Because it cost a fortune. But yeah, it was like a five pound sundae with a delicious brownie, a cookie, whipped cream, like four scoops of ice cream, chocolate fudge, chocolate chips. Did I mention it was super expensive? I mean, I can go on all day, right? It was absolutely fantastic, delicious, and everything you want in a dessert. What I loved was I think when you were ordering it, you're like, I think this is going to be a regular thing. Yeah. And then they ring it up and they're like, oh, 20 something dollars. Oh, maybe yeah. not that regular. I think it, was, it was like 23. And I was like, no, nah, no, nah, this is like once in a month thing. I'm going to have to sell off a part of my 401k just to afford ice cream. Well, I guess these uh, players, like if Juan Soto were to sign that contract, maybe he could have afforded the yard. I mean, 
what was it? Vince Young, I always say, spent like $16,000 a week at the Cheesecake Factory. Like, are you kidding me? That's why he's broke. But I can see why. If you had all that money and I'm going to the yard for a five-pound ice cream sundae, I would probably spend sixteen grand a week on that, too. So will you be back at the yard? Will you be a repeat customer? Uh, no, because I've gained four pounds since eating it just then. So I can't. If I go back, I'll be I'll gain 100 pounds in like a few weeks, man. It definitely could happen. No, but it's delicious. Uh, definitely a place I will be visiting again every few months after I get in a bunch of workouts because they had like 30 flavors. And I think before I saw the price, my comment to you is, well, I got to try every flavor, right? <laughs> yeah, they definitely had a big uh, selection, a lot, a lot of stuff on that menu. Well, uh, Matt, um, you know, that's the hungry take for tonight. Um, definitely fun talking about the recap of the Yard Milkshake Bar and, of course, recapping some baseball stories with the All-Star Game in the home run derby and just uh, look forward to next week. We'll probably be uh, delving more into uh, football with training camps and getting ready for college football. And also kind of interested to get your thoughts on some of these NBA contracts too. Yeah. I, I think it was a great break from uh, basketball and football and all the other stuff, you know, experiencing the, the MLB all-star break. But with that said, now that that's over, we're headed towards the world series. And sure enough, we're already headed towards all the football conversation because that's where we're headed in a few short months. Yeah. Well, the training camps opened up and we'll probably be hearing something about Aaron Rodgers and your takes there um, next week. So uh, thank you everybody so much for tuning in tonight. Really appreciate the support as always. And we will see you next Thursday night.